Welcome to the debate at Newsweek. I'm Andrew Tallman. Today we're going to be talking about TikTok, whether it should be banned, whether using or misusing a person's preferred pronouns is uh, unethical or maybe a cause for action. And what exactly does woke mean? We'll get into it all next with Catherine Mangue Ward, the editor and chief at Reason Magazine, and C.J. Pearson, a conservative activist and commentator at PragerU. Catherine and C.J., welcome to the debate. Hey. For having us. Hey, great to have you. So let's start with TikTok because I will acknowledge at uh, 52, I don't necessarily have space for another app. I'm still a Facebook user. I find Instagram annoying. TikTok, I watch it when I must because there's some story. So I am not an expert on the subject. I know just enough to probably say stupid things. So let's start with uh, you, CJ. Do you think that TikTok should be banned, something that the federal government is obviously talking about after those heated hearings last week? You know, what's interesting about this, and I think maybe being 20 years old, being a Gen Zer who uses the app uh, every day probably makes me a little different than a lot of folks on my side on this issue. I, I actually don't think that it should be banned. I think, you know, while I acknowledge the fact that I don't think TikTok is probably the best things for young people, I think that it is uh, a little bit suspicious at the very least uh, that they promote certain types of content to their own citizens in China that is educational to young people. But yet here at home, they're promoting twerking videos and just absolute degeneracy. I think that at the end of the day, if parents don't want their children on TikTok, then don't let them use TikTok. I don't think it's the role of the government to raise people's children. I don't think that it's the role of the government to remove people's access to these apps, especially just simply in the name of so-called privacy, right? You know, because I'm also concerned about what Mark Zuckerberg is doing with my data. I was concerned with what Jack Dorsey was doing with my data. Um, all of these are very, very reasonable concerns. And I also am increasingly concerned about the vehicle in which they're seeking to ban TikTok. It's, it's called the Restrict Act, which not only doesn't even mention TikTok or ByteDance by name in the actual legislation, but has a lot more far-reaching implications that I don't think have simply been talked about enough. And it's been something that's supported, obviously, by both Senator Mark Warner of Virginia, but has some Republican backing as well. And I think Tucker Carlson made a really good point about the legislation this week when he said that if the Uniparty is getting behind something, that's probably when you should start to ask yourself, is this a good thing? You know, there's text in the legislation that actually it allows the executive branch of government, the secretary of commerce and the director of national intelligence to go after people who, quote, have a relationship with a foreign adversary. Now, what that relationship actually is, is subjective. Um, but at, and at the end of the day, when we've seen the way in which the, the federal government has been weaponized against conservatives today, I feel like it's just another tool in their tool belt to do the same, which honestly gives me a lot of worry. But on the issue itself, flatly, should TikTok be banned? It's a no from me. You know, it's, it is interesting that it seems like social media generally is that one category where everybody seems to be in agreement, which is either great news or horrifying news. Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, Catherine, what do you think? I think every single word CJ said was right. So I am sorry that we are doing your podcast dirty right now. But yeah, I don't think that the way that we fight China is by acting like China. And, you know, the list of American tech companies that are banned in China is basically all of them, right? Including like Slack, Dropbox, Wikipedia, right? Like they, and of course, all of the fun ones, you know, this is not, this is not the right path for us. And I think that, um, you know, I have kids because I am between the two of you somewhere in age <laughs> and, uh, and they're not on TikTok right now. Have they seen TikToks? Yeah, of course they have, because kids are always going to work around their parents' rules. And by the way, they're also always going to work around the government's rules. Uh, I trust 
the U.S. Congress much less with my data than I trust Mark Zuckerberg, and I don't trust him much. So <laughs> let, let me, uh, I don't have a real strong opinion about this one, frankly. I'll, I'll tell you where I come from, and I'll, I'll, I'll play the role, okay, of the person on the other side. I don't mind. So I don't have TikTok on my phone. And the reason, I mean, I've, I've occasionally thought about downloading it just to see what all the fuss is about, aside from watching the things that I see through, you know, old school mechanisms like Chrome. OK, but um, I've never downloaded it basically because the people who I know and where I live, we have some really high quality cyber professionals who basically go and do presentations. And one of the things they say is, oh, God, dear God, never, ever put TikTok on your phone because of the data, the privacy, the surveillance, the snooping, the ties to China, just sort of the whole suite of possible concerns you could have about something on your phone. And they tell me, Andrew, don't do this. And I say, okay, good enough for me. Putting aside the kind of cultural issues, the addiction issues, the kids and all of that kind of stuff. Isn't that an adequate concern that this is really a dangerous surveillance app that we don't even know quite what could be done with it? But the professionals say, don't put it on your phone. Since you had so much to say the first time, uh, CJ, I'm going to go to Catherine first with this one. Does any of that persuade you? I think your friends don't sound very fun, my man. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but they don't get yeah, mal- sure malware and they don't get hacked. And, you know, I'm, they're running I'm, the universe and defending us from uh, cyber attacks right now. So, yeah. So I think I, I do think if I'm going to steal man the other side, I would say the strongest arguments are national security concerns. I still don't think they're very good arguments. Um, I think the main one is, OK, it's blackmail in some form, right? Like China gets access to our devices and through our devices, maybe a broader vision of what your online behavior looks like, um, they can already do that through other means. There is absolutely nothing special about TikTok here. And so it makes me suspicious when I see a single company being scapegoated when we know that we're buying all kinds of stuff from China. China has access to data from American-based companies. There are some measures in place to prevent that. And I think there's some consumer demand for reassurances that your data is not going to China. But again, it's not clear to me that the prevention of that piece of the puzzle is the business of Congress or that banning TikTok or limiting TikTok would accomplish that. The second one is the more sinister, like maybe China is going to do psyops on us, right? Like they're going to feed us content that makes us all into zombie communists or something. Um, Even I hadn't gone that far down the road. So cool. Keep going. It's cool. Yeah. No, the idea is, you know, this is sort of the election interference, misinformation, disinformation argument that maybe subtly China could put pressure on TikTok to tweak our algorithms in ways that would change the outcome of an election. This, of course, was the allegation that, you know, was levied against Facebook, I would say somewhat less effectively. We have no evidence that that's happening right now. And uh, the surprise other kind of transpartisan coalition on this question which is Rand Paul and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, not always, you know, the likeliest of bedfellows, but both of them say don't ban TikTok. And they say that Congress doesn't have access to secret information that anything like this is going on. And there's, in fact, good reasons to think it's not right now. So it's a hypothetical. It's a scary one, but it still does seem to be a hypothetical. And we don't in this country, like we don't put companies out of business because Congress thought of a scary scenario we shouldn't but unfortunately we do it reminds me of, of <laughs> that's when I true when I, you are quite right i should say we ought not not we that we don't. Not. yeah this reminds me so much of high school when everyone was you know all up in arms and our government about vaping and they target the company jewel 
but only Jewel, like yep. only Jewel was was targeted by this company. And I remember they got rid of all the flavored um, pod flavors that, you know, that Jewel had, but left all the other ones in the market. You know, like vaping never ended. I still have plenty of friends who have an ungodly addiction to it, um, but it never ended. None of these other companies, uh, they're not coming to mind right now, but none of, they were all readily available. And so I think that, you know, TikTok is the boogeyman right now, but at the end of the day, again, to what Catherine was saying, it's like, I also don't feel comfortable about that data being in the hands of, of other companies like Facebook and Twitter who are very, you know, very clear about where they stand. Even with Elon Musk owning Twitter, there's still a deep state of sorts um, within that company. I mean, we see it with people being banned um, just yesterday for uh, tweeting about the trans v- day of vengeance or whatever. And also, too, what's interesting about like the PSYOP argument, and I actually think there's some credence to that argument. I, th- I think the most damning evidence of that is the fact that they are pumping educational content to their own children that use the app. But yet again, just absolutely, you know, throwing degeneracy at our children here in America who are using the app. But Twitter also does the same. I saw an article out yesterday at the For You page on Twitter now uh, actually elevates tweets from folks like Ben Shapiro and other folks on the left, like Joe Biden and all of these things. And so I think we're going to have that type of uh, you know, influence or interference, even from apps here made domestically. And then when it comes to the private security concern, like you said, there are so many ways for these folks to get this data. I remember just like, a, I think it was a, two years ago when everyone was using that app that made them look old because they were so infatuated with what they would look like when they're 70 I've years never old. never needed to use that app, just Russian to be clear. Company, Go ahead. Right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I, um, I found a mango jewel pod in my house recently. So I just want you guys to know I'm going to retire on that on that right. money. Those are like a rare item now. That's like an, uh, it's going for eighty thousand dollars these days. Yeah, no, I think so. So this is actually my last my last act as a journalist. This You're time. retiring after this. That's fantastic. So there is something weird, right, about Congress where the average age is God knows how high, right? Uh, a little bit yeah. less or so now, but still very high. And these folks are coming after something that's super popular with people CJ's age. I mean, right. And so there's a sort of experience gap that maybe it's just fear, novelty, unfamiliarity, whatever that's driving this. But I'm also concerned we haven't so much touched on it, but I, I love that CJ keeps bringing up the point that there's a big difference. There's a big gap between the kind of content that gets pushed domestically in China as opposed to the content here. And I think if I understand the way TikTok works properly, uh, when it comes to other social media, yes, there's an algorithm. Yes, there are you know aggressive elements to advance certain kinds of content. But there's still a hefty dependence on the stuff that I'm interested in. Uh, a bunch of us show interest and something grows and it spreads. Uh, and, and that's what shows up in your feed to some degree. With TikTok, the way I get it is basically the things are selected that are going to be promoted. And those very narrow range of things get heavily disseminated, not organically based on what we're driving. And that's the kind of something weird, sinister, grooming platform for the future kind of concerns that are raised that seems different with TikTok compared to Snap or Instagram or Facebook or Twitter. Uh, None of that is enough to justify government interference, Catherine? Well, the selling prospect of TikTok's algorithm is that it's better at tailoring content that people want to see, right? So if if TikTok was for some sinister geopolitical reason trying to shove a certain set of videos down the throats of all of its users, people wouldn't feel that way about the algorithm. Like, I love TikTok. My algorithm shows me 
like kimchi recipes and um, people doing like Dungeons and Dragons cosplay, dumb political jokes. Like my algorithm shows me me. And the problem with all social media, when people critique social media platforms, they are always, always just saying that they don't like what they see in the mirror. And that's fine. Maybe people are terrible, but it's really not clear to me that what we are getting back from our social media needs to be explained by some kind of conspiracy. This is kind of the Hanlon's razor. Like, we should just assume incompetence rather than conspiracy. We should just assume that people are putting, you know, they're getting out what they put in and that it's a lot of silliness, um, not something more sinister. TikTok's algorithm is better. I don't think we should be the kind of place that bans the best algorithm that generates the content that people want to see the most efficiently. Yeah, it's hard to argue with, what is it, 150 million users in America? Like half yeah, the country, day, like daily users, like half the country. That's an in, that's an insane number for something that's relatively new. Right. And it's yeah. a speech facilitating platform. I mean, I do think, you know, I, I don't I'm not one to kind of cry First Amendment every time uh, that a social media company does something, because that's often, I think, a little off topic. But it is worth keeping in mind here that this would be the U.S. Congress taking a platform on which millions of Americans speak to each other, convey their opinions, like share make their money. thoughts and making it illegal or heavily limiting its accessibility or whatever it is that they end up doing because they don't know. So I don't know. Yeah. Is the uh, is the sheer popularity the argument? Because, of course, you know, one response to that would be something like, well, you know, to some cocaine is popular. And, you know, there are things that are very, very desirable that we Not don't necessarily million people, though. <laughs> I don't think cocaine's but, popular but, that but, much, but, but they really, really Brian like the I coke, man. I disagree a little bit because I'd love to legalize <laughs> cocaine, too, obviously. Well, I, I can't speak for him, but uh, I'm guessing. You know, but maybe maybe the Americans just need to be protected from their TikTok, right? Like a uh, like an illicit drug and which comes in a variety of problems. Right. Maybe that's kind of the argument. Again, I don't know that I really buy the argument, but I think that's the argument that they're making. Right, CJ? Yeah, but that also sounds like the argument behind prohibition. And we see where that led us. But I think, you know, to your point, I think the popularity is something that you have to contend with, especially as you're making policy here. And I'll say also, too. I also selfishly don't support a ban on TikTok because I believe it would be a bloodbath uh, for conservatives among young people. Gen Z already hates us, right? So I think why actually add to the problem by banning an app that they love a lot, use every single day, um, and just gen genuinely enjoy? I think that it would be um, a political misstep as well. And I think that if you actually do feel as if um, that TikTok should be banned, force Joe Biden to do it, make him take executive action to ban it. Um, but I think it's such a political misstep for people within our party um, to go and say, hey, we're going to ban this for congressional action and take the heat off of him to do it. If Joe Biden wants to ban TikTok, he should explain to all these Gen Zers who supported him during the midterm elections and his party about why he's taking away their beloved app. Make him do it. Um, but I think, uh, unfortunately, there's just a there's a lack of political calculus behind this issue as well for members of our party. And again, it has to do with the age gap here. I don't think they realize how popular it is, but if they don't realize how popular it is, they should probably just ask their grandchildren and their grandchildren will tell them how they <laughs> feel about it. And then maybe they'll change their opinion. There's a purely political calculus involved here that the moody teenagers already are angry at you because you won't let them take your car. And now you tell them also they can't go to the kegger. How dare you be smarter? You're going to lose them you. forever. <laughs> Well, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk about pronouns. Is deliberately not using someone's preferred pronouns a form of harassment, sexual harassment, 
those kind of questions when we return on the debate. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome back to the debate at Newsweek. I'm Andrew Tallman, joined today by Catherine Mangu Ward and CJ Pearson. So there was a story from last year about uh, students who got in trouble at their school because they either deliberately re- did not use the appropriate pronouns. The, uh, the other student was wanting to be called a they them and they didn't do this. And essentially they either used the wrong ones or refused to use the right ones or whatever. And the point is, they got in trouble. It got escalated to being something like sexual harassment based on the fact that it was mistreating another student, bullying in some form, and because it was related to gender, gender identity, and biology and sex, it was classified as sexual harassment. Before we get to that, which seems to be a fairly extreme position, I'm more interested to back up and just ask, do you think we have an ethical obligation to use the pronouns that somebody prefers us to use for them? Let's start with you, Catherine. I think that we have an ethical obligation to be kind and polite to each other. Um, I use people's preferred pronouns, and I think that that should and could be a non-political act. I think the fact that this conversation always immediately escalates to the level of politics, always immediately escalates to the level of the law, shows that we have gone desperately astray somewhere. Somebody says they want me to use they, them. I'm going to use they, them. CJ? You know... I'm a pretty polite guy. Um, you know, there are instances in which I have used people's preferred pronouns, but the, the entire they them thing, I'm I'm not going to contort the English language to fit anyone's delusions. Right. Like if, if you are transgender and you go by her, um, I think it's a little weird for me not to say that uh, un, unless it's out of intention. Um, but the entire they them thing, I, I think that's delusional. I'm not going to 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 abide by that. But I think in general, yeah, I think if you're just being a polite person, then I can get the argument there. But, uh, but I also, you mentioned that, that, you know, this story is a little bit extreme, but I definitely don't, I don't think there's an ethical obligation. I think people should be able to do whatever they want. If they don't want to use a person's pronouns because it's absurd to them that they shouldn't have to, if you do, you should. Um, But yeah, to describe any of this as sexual harassment is an absurdity and just absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. I'll just be honest. I find myself, very torn on the subject because on the one hand I'm with you, Catherine, I want to be kind to people. I want to be polite. You know, you have to pick your battles. And yet when it comes to this particular issue, I very much agree with CJ that you're asking me to misuse my language. You're, you're demanding, or if not demanding, at least asking very loudly that I use my mouth to say words that I feel to be false to call you a she if I think you're a he, things that are kind of embedded in our consciousness, right? And or to go in the non-gender or gender fluid way with they and them, that feels like lying to me. And so a lot of times I find myself avoiding it. Like if I'm doing a news story and I'm talking about the Nashville shooting, okay? 
I find myself being reluctant to even just use pronouns. I'll use proper names or the person. I'll just try to circumlocute in order to not have to deal with it because I don't want to be a jerk to anybody, but I don't want to lie with the way I use the words. And that often becomes clunky and unworkable. Am I wrong for thinking that I should retain the right to simply use the language I want to when I want to, Catherine? Well, again, I think you absolutely do have that right. I think that can and should be uncontested. You can say whatever words you want. That's what we got the First Amendment for. But I do think that, again, the kind of writing around or circumlocution that you're describing, that seems like a perfectly fine solution to me. It's yeah, it's a little awkward. But if you want to protect your kind of sensibilities, but you also don't want to be rude to another person. Great. You did it. You solved the problem. You know, If you ask the staff of Reason Magazine, they'll tell you, I am a stickler on copy editing on the English language. I'm still fighting for decimate, the original definition. It means reduce by a tenth, and I will die on that hill. You know, I I want uh, I want to hold on to disinterested as being a different word than uninterested. But I do think that people's preferred pronouns describe a real thing in the world. They describe a part of their identity. And um, and I am perfectly happy to use them. I think that the place where people get persnickety about this and understandably so is when um, is when, you know, there is a threatened consequence that seems disproportionate for getting it wrong. Mm -hmm. And so something like a charge of sexual harassment, the loss of a job, um, especially when it's not done from a place of ill intent, can feel like it's like it's too much. And I'm I'm very sympathetic to that. Yeah, there's something definitely about the what are you asking me to recognize? Because to me, when I use he, him uh, or she, her, I'm talking about your sex. But what they're asking me to prioritize is gender. Right. And their identity or picture of their gender, which is generally those used to be the same thing. And yeah, now for a lot of people, they're not. Those things used to be synonymous <laughs> right. until they just absolutely weren't. Yeah, go ahead. One Sandra. random day. Yeah, I mean, that's where we are, right? Is uh, It's not just a matter of being kind to somebody, being nice to somebody. You're kind of being asked to embrace this view that the definitive masculine feminine characteristic about them is what they think it to be rather than what biology would say it to be. Like on ID cards, you know, that's meant to be how we can tell you from somebody as opposed to what you think you are, right? I think my standard is pretty, pretty much like if you look like a he, I'm going to call you a he. If you look like a her, I'm going to call you a her. Um, but I think, you know, the one thing I, I'd, I'd contest with with Catherine's point is that she says if there's no ill intent, I think even if there is ill intent, you still have the right to speak the truth. Right. If someone is a biological male, their pronouns are he. If they are a biological female, her pronoun is she, her, whatever else. Right. Which I think, you know, but I but I do. You know, I look at this story and I, and I understand why people who take such strong issue with not ceding any ground on this issue, because it leads to, you know, things like this sexual harassment nonsense or acts of bullying. Um, choosing not to live in someone else's delusion does not make you a bad person or anything like that. And I think everyone will have their own personal standard here. Um, but, yeah, I think it, I think you do see oftentimes this like drift towards radicalism. Where you will see, you know, people who get so-called quote dead named or whatever else. I remember before Elon Musk took over Twitter, you get banned off of the app for doing something like that, for calling someone by their name or, you know, by their by the pronouns for which they were born with. And and I think, yeah, like 
again, I don't think we should be contorting, distorting, or changing the English language um, just to fit the times. I think English is okay where it is, um, as it was when it was created. And same goes to the point of like the gender sex thing. I'm glad you brought that up. That has been the most mind-numbing thing to me. I remember growing up and having to fill out the little forms in elementary school uh, when, you know, the first 10 days of school so they could get all of the federal money um, for all the students who were in attendance. And it was very clear. It asked me gender slash sex. It was like treated as one the same. They were synonymous with one another. But now those words apparently are different, have different meanings. I think that's silly. And I think that we should stop bending reality to fit people's, uh, you know, ideal versions of reality, because that's just not reality. That's imaginative, but it's not reality. Catherine? So I actually think that there's another lens to look at this through that could be a little bit more helpful, which is the freedom of association lens, right? So if you come over to my house and I have a friend over who's trans and you repeatedly misgender them, I'm going to ask you to leave my house. And I think we would all agree that that's clearly permissible, right? That's well within my rights. It's my home. It's my property. And I can have whoever I want in my home and I can ask whoever I want to leave. Um, I think that uh, sometimes we are tempted to treat platforms like TikTok or like Twitter as the public sphere when they are, in fact, a private space. Elon Musk can ask you to leave his house in the same way that I can ask you to leave my house. Schools, of course, are public spaces. And so there we have to use a different mechanism to resolve this conflict. We use our democratic institutions and they are broken and messy. And we use our courts, which are complicated and um, punitive. But I think in almost every case where people are just interacting privately, there can and should be a freedom of association case. And if I want to run things my way in my home and my company, I should be allowed to. How much of this has to do with accepting the worldview, right? That when you, even if you have, you know, uh, you do some questionnaire for some conference you're attending where they're going to do name tags that include your pronouns and they ask you, what are your preferred pronouns? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm inclined to not answer. Like it feels that even giving an answer is to participate in the worldview that they're trying to advance. And to the question you were bringing up, Catherine, about, you know, in your home, I mean, certainly, you know, you want to expel me because, uh, you know, I have bad grammar. It's it's your home. You know, you can ex- excuse me from and your I home will. for any reason you want. Right. <laughs> but it strikes me that there's something in this about almost elevating the person's right not to be reminded that other people disagree with them, that this person doesn't want to, this. This she doesn't want to be called a he. And if I say he, I'm reminding them that, you know, I disagree with you about this. And that part of it is almost like, should people be protected from the recognition that I hold a different view about this than they do? I mean, I think there's a fundamental liberal value in the in the classical sense, right, Um, which is one of pluralism and toleration. And I think you absolutely don't have to wholesale accept the worldview of the people that you're associating with. You can just be cool with them existing near you and you can participate or not participate in what they ask you to do. You don't have to fill out that line on the form. But, uh, you know, again, I really feel that the place where we go wrong here is when we try to solve this problem, which is right now a really tricky social and cultural problem. We are in a moment of change and it's unsettling. 
when you try to solve this problem with the state, that is where things go wrong. If you just let people work it out, most people are going to be cool. I feel like if you, you know, there are plenty of trans people who have lived in the in the deep red South for, you know, decades and gotten along fine because their neighbors know them and they've worked it out. And that to me is the model. It also, I guess it, it kind of bothers me that and maybe it should, I don't know, but if I don't go along I'm not allowed to just not go along. I get called, you know, transphobic or something, you know, like I get you get slurred for not participating in the worldview. So there's a kind of social pressure to get you to change on this. There's a different side of this that I'm curious about, because we've had certain very high profile celebrities that have changed gender. Right. We've got Bruce Jenner becomes Caitlyn Jenner. We've got Ellen Page becomes Elliot Page. And I have a similar kind of reaction here is there's a part of me maybe early on in the story where I still want to refer to somebody as their previous name, even though that's what you're not supposed to do. And then later on, after a while, well, it's just Caitlin. Okay, there it goes. Um, Is that the same basic problem we're talking about, CJ? You know, yeah, I I think so. But I think to kind of go back to the earlier point about freedom association, I think freedom association also goes both ways in terms of the freedom to not associate with certain ideas and certain worldviews. And I think that should also be protected. Um, But I've kind of found it by myself in that same kind of paradox in a way where it's like, yeah, I have this position that if if someone is visibly male to me, I'm going to call them a him. I don't care if you want to go by she, her, like if you look like a him, I'm going to call you a him. But at the same time, I'm also guilty of calling Caitlyn Jenner, Caitlyn Jenner, because that is their preferred name in the same way in which mine is CJ. Um, Or if Barack wanted to go by Barry, his friends called him Barry. So I understand things like nicknames and nicknames aren't asking me to betray my values, betray my ideas. If someone has a preferred name, they have a preferred name. That's not a radical idea. That's nothing new. But I think the, the concept of changing pronouns and all of these things is a different issue altogether. But at the same time, I feel like if I were with Caitlyn Jenner, I would call her her and I would call and I would refer to her as she. So it's I think it's one of those things that it is very tricky. It is very complicated. But I do agree with with Catherine's uh, final point that she made that this isn't an issue in which the state should be wielding any authority in um, and, and seeing people weaponizing very serious things like sexual harassment or bullying in a court of law as it relates to this issue is very, very scary to me. Um, because again, like I said, freedom association also goes both ways. It has to do also with your freedom to not associate with someone's ideals and, and, and values. And if that also, and if that penalizes the ability of that person to be employed or to attend an educational institution or, or hurts them in any other way, monetarily, financially, or just in any other just real world sense, it also brings me a lot of trouble there. And so I think that's uh, definitely a concern of mine in that regard. Yeah, losing employment, losing status at a college or university, all of these kinds of things are definitely concerns. Catherine, last word on the subject? Yeah, I think sometimes you have to bear costs for your unpopular opinions. And uh, I think that we often consider that admirable. So I don't think anyone can or should be guaranteed a job. I don't think that that's how the, you know, the American system works. Um, I do wish we had fewer public institutions where it was all versus all, right? There's nothing to do about your local school. You have to fight it out and someone's going to win or the compromise is going to make everyone unhappy. But in most of our lives, we can choose who we associate with. We can choose, you know, what level of heterodoxy we want to tolerate in our institutions. I think that level should be high. I think 
Caitlyn Jenner and CJ should be able to work together side by side in peace. But not everyone feels that way. And sometimes when your side loses, you're going to bear the costs. And I would say socially at the moment, uh, CJ and my side is losing. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> and the longer time Looks goes like on, it. we seem to be losing more on this particular. Uh, and, and I will say this also, um, just for me personally, I take seriously the concern that, well, you know, Andrew, we know you. We know you. You're kind. You're loving. You're generous. You're ex- generally accepting. Even if you have beliefs, you know, you don't hold them against the person you want to be. But, you know, there's some really awful people out there who say the same kind of things you do. Uh, okay, well, that's a concern, right? I don't want to be in the camp. You know, <laughs> Sometimes the yeah. camp you inhabit is a concern as well. Well, yeah, one last point here. I will say, though, I think perceived popularity is very different than actual popularity, right? I think that we've seen sure, true. the yeah. media and all of these corporations elevate names like Dylan Mulvaney and uh, folks like there's a guy who actually rushed to join a sorority um, at the University of Alabama where I attended school, wasn't trans before then until he wanted to join a sorority. And then all of a sudden he's a she, her and all these things. I, but the experiences that I've had and the conversations I've had with normal girls who aren't political, who aren't really controversial thinkers in any way whatsoever. I don't like that my gender has become a costume. I don't like that it's been able to be appropriated. And I don't like that someone who isn't biologically a woman has now become the face of so-called womanhood. And so I actually do wonder if we're actually losing or if the no, that's, a, that's, a, that's a great point. Yeah, right. and, I, and I will say, I think he's actually just perceived what I when I talk with um, some of my very close, dear uh, liberal friends. One of the things I do hear from them is, you know, Andrew, you and I agree about nothing except this. Like they are concerned that, you know, they want to advance the cause of you know liberalism and they're concerned that this issue is a wedge issue that doesn't work in their advantage, you know, that is really driving moderates away from from their goals. Uh, Great, great questions. We're going to take another quick break. When we come back, we're going to ask a question that was completely unable to be answered recently on a viral video clip. What is woke here on The Debate? (sighs) The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the debate. And now the question, what does woke mean? Is it even a meaningful term on the rising podcast on the Hill? Brianna Joy Gray asked Bethany Mandel to define the term woke and she couldn't. Would you mind defining woke? Because it's come up a couple of times. I just want to make sure we're on the same page. So, I mean, woke is sort of the idea that. um, I. This is going to be one of those moments that goes viral. And by the way, I will come clean. 
if you had asked me a month ago, define woke, I would have been the embarrassed person. I don't I mean, here's kind of sort of it wouldn't have been a concise answer. I think I can give a better one today. But that's the benefit of having other people address the question, to be fair. Your thoughts, CJ, does woke have a meaning? What is the actual content of that term? Everything that's wrong with America is is the meaning, simply put. And I think that if you look at the way in which the word has now become a frequent thing that conservatives use, I think you have to trace like the lineage of the word, really, right? The origin of it was when you had these progressives, these folks on the left who would actually herald wokeness as the fact that they were enlightened thinkers, that they were actually um, people that we should strive to be like because they understood um, they were socially conscious and all of these things. And, and, and their thoughts were advancing the, you know, the oppressed communities, uh, you know, of America and all of those things. But in all actuality, what we actually see is that wokeism is not progressive, but is actually the very definition of regressism and that we're seeing of regression more so. And we're seeing the the effects of that pan out. I, I don't think any of these woke policies that have been perpetuated recently, things like reparations, things like defunding the police have actually done anything to advance the communities that they are so-called supposed to be um, helping. Uh, if you look at what the defund the police movement has done in inner cities across America has actually disproportionately harmed black and brown communities. If you look at what reparations is, is, is supposed to do to black people. I don't really know how that's going to actually help the 55 failing schools in Chicago that can neither um, claim proficiency in reading or math. And so I think woke truly is a, a, I think, I think, I think conservatives have taken back the word to simply mean everything that is going wrong with America is the antithesis of what America is supposed to be and what it ought to be. Is it just, Catherine, a label, at least when conservatives use it, is it just a label for the various liberal policies, whether it's race, gender, sexual identity, orientation, you know, climate, all of that kind of stuff? Or or does it mean something separate from that? Yeah, I mean, I think at this point, probably woke, at least as Ron DeSantis uses it in Florida, let's say, just means stuff Ron DeSantis doesn't like. That's how these terms tend to evolve. Um, I do think it has a a neutral definition, um, which, as CJ said, hails back to its original use, which is just the belief that America's social and political institutions are plagued by and also power or facilitate racism, sexism, homophobia, all other kinds of discrimination, and that a lot of the disparities in our society are caused by that phenomenon. And I think that's a that's a definition that, in theory, the people on the left and the right could agree on and then just say, yeah, and I disagree then about what we, what should be done or if anything should be done or if that's true. But unfortunately, I think we are pat well past the moment of kind of reasoned debate and conversation about the role of systemic racism in our society and deep into just screaming woke at each other ad infinitum until we move on to another catchphrase. Yeah, the the word is, I mean, used by conservatives is largely a slur at this point, right? I mean, it's not really used as a meaningful intellectual term that has a very precise definition that, uh, you know, we can use in these academic debates. It it just, it's, I mean, I I agree with you. I live in Florida and I do think a lot of it is, you know, uh, what Ron DeSantis doesn't like. This is what he calls. Um, I thought I was watching an interview with uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, the uh, one of the candidates for the Republican nomination. He gave a very interesting definition, asked this question point blank. He said, it's becoming alert to invisible societal injustices generally based on genetically inherited characteristics like race, sex, and sexual orientation. 
and then feeling called upon to act on those injustices using whatever means might be necessary, including the market or market pressure. I thought that was a really good definition. And it raises for me the question of, is there a distinction between wokeness and canceling or cancel culture? The, can you be aware without using coercion in order to advance the agenda? Are those separable or is that all bundled together part and parcel of the same thing for you, Catherine? Yeah, I think, I mean, I am old enough to remember the term political correctness, mm-hmm. uh, which was just proto-woke, right? Um, but political correctness absolutely contained the connotation of action. You are politically correct. You say politically correct things. It's not really about a worldview. It was just about how you behave. And uh, and I think that the reason that woke has really caught on is because it's so useful to capture both the mindset and the activism. And so it lets people who want to crusade against it just point at the activism and say, this is bad. We don't like this. Um, and not meaningfully engage with the with the question of the mindset, right? With the question of like, well, actually, I think it's uncontroversially true that America's political institutions did enshrine racist and sexist and homophobic uh, values for a really, really long time. Our government, for sure, did that for most of its history, maybe still does. We should talk about it. That's an idea. But then to take the next leap of, and so therefore, abolish the police, do reparations, whatever it is, I think the connection there is more tenuous and is worth kind of separating and investigating. If I might draw the distinction, you know, what I remember of the old political correctness, as you say, proto-wokeness, was that it was the epiphany, the awareness, and then the personal embrace of these things with some moderate effort to try to get other people to go along. Uh, To me, cancel culture slash wokeness to the degree of the same thing is far more aggressive. I mean, you're really, you know, going out there to get people to lose jobs, get people to, you know, you're, I mean, boycotting is part and parcel of it. Like, you know, uh, somebody who's truly woke would never think of not acting on this economically. Is that your perception of it, CJ? Yeah, I think so. I think uh, cancel culture is definitely the enforce mechanism of, of wokeness. And, and I, and the thing is, like, you, your question was, can one exist without the other? And I don't actually think that those who, are woke would ever allow it to exist without the other because i think you're right there's this inclination to act they they're not okay with you not embracing their ideals they have to make sure that you do and if you don't then you deserve to pay a consequence or pay a price for that um which i think just uh, you know really goes along with that new uh study or that survey that came out of the wall street journal that tolerance even has taken a strong dip uh in terms of its importance to the american people and I think it was at 80% and now it's in the fifties. I think it went from 80 something percent to 59%. And so I think the, that drop in tolerance is also another um, victim of cancel culture and, and wokeness here. But I think what's interesting about the political correctness and, and that's really interesting. That's a really interesting connection there. Yeah. I think a lot of this stuff does truly transform. But one thing that I, I do find interesting about this entire thing is that you know, the left got to do a victory lap when this video went viral on saying, you know, conservatives love to say woke, but they don't know how to define it. Let's talk about all the things that those on the left described as racist. When was the last thing they had to define racism? Because they called Ron DeSantis that they call him racist. When have the lot, when have they ever had to answer the question definitively? How is Ron DeSantis a racist? How is Donald Trump a racist? 
They don't have to. They never asked the question. And so I think it's very interesting that this guy was asked the question about what is woke because I have a I would love to ask Joanne Reed what racism is, because I think we have a very different definition of it. One of my other concerns about this subject is it seems to me like if you can adopt, and I think this goes to your point, Catherine, that conservatives particularly will tend to classify anything that talks about race, racial injustice, systemic racism, and say, okay, that's just all part of the wokeness, and therefore I don't need to confront these ideas. I saw a very interesting article recently talking about the um, the environmental racism of freeway overpasses in Los Angeles, that when you have cars built over poor neighborhoods, that black people live in these areas, and you have a lot of pollution and noise also, uh, that that winds up adversely affecting them. Of course, this is a phenomenon across the country. Poor neighborhoods get the highways and rich neighborhoods don't, of course. And uh, you know, then I saw a reaction to that article, which said, ah, oh, here we go, another, you know, another stupid uh, anti-racist woke tract. And I'm sitting there thinking, no, oh, I think black people and Hispanic people often wind up living in neighborhoods underneath highways that's bad for them, over which they didn't have any political power. That's a serious question. We should at least acknowledge that. Do you think the kind of woke, anti-woke thing just winds up shielding people conveniently from confronting situations where sexism is a real problem or racism is a real problem. Catherine? Yeah, I mean, I think it definitely goes to our increasing tribalism. I mean, that statistic about um, a decreased entrance in in toleration is part of the same issue. Um, And in fact, I think that example that you just cited is a great one because the reason that those highways get built there is thanks to the power of eminent domain. And conservatives historically have fought against eminent domain. It's a taking of private property by the state. And I don't know if y'all have heard, but I think conservatives like private property. I know I do. It seems like that's a place where you might have constructive dialogue. You might say, hey, somebody might see this through the lens of race, but I see this through the lens of property. We can both agree it's bad policy. Let's talk about it. And I think the same thing is true um, of those Chicago schools that you mentioned, CJ. You know, there are people who are going to say, look, this is, you know, this is an example of systemic racism. I might say, listen, I think this is the case for school choice. We don't yeah. we don't need to have the same overarching narrative about what drives American society to get to a potentially productive agreement. But you can't get to that agreement if one side just screams woke and one side screams racist and then they both walk away with their hands over their ears. Yeah. CJ, last yeah. word. Do you think that the kind of anti woke uh, or using that as a shield that that, you know, we don't want to accept that everything is sexism, everything is racism, everything is any of these things. But we should be open to the possibility that there are some times where they really are those things, shouldn't we? Yeah, you know, I think it goes back to that age old story of the boy who cried wolf. You know, when everything is woke, nothing is woke. And when everything is racist, nothing is racist. And so it really does prevent real examples of racism, which is despicable and wrong and disgusting um, from being seen as such when you have folks on the left who described everything as racist. And and the same applies to, to woke, like to the point that you made. I think um, there is definitely a, a an argument as it relates to class. You know, obviously poor neighborhoods will will be located in your airports, will be located in your highways. All those things are true uh, and they are real issues. And the thing is, though, is I, I remember reading that article in the LA Times and I think they did frame it more so along racial lines. And I think, so I think, yeah, it, it just goes back to like when you have everyone screaming and shouting about woke and racist and all of those things all day long, it just desensitize, desensitizes all of the words when they should, when they, when they 
should be correctly applied. Yeah. And, and jumping to the conclusion that it's race might prevent you from seeing a more serious concern about, like you said, uh, you know, Catherine, about eminent domain or about money that, you know, there there might be other explanations. And we don't want to jump to the one that fits the narrative. We don't want to also jump to the conclusion that it can't be that either, because we ought to be open to really examining on a case by case basis what's going on so that we can solve the problems. Well, fascinating conversation. You guys have been fantastic. Uh, Catherine Mangu Ward, she is the editor in chief at or editor in chief at Reason Magazine. C.J. Pearson is a conservative activist and a commentator at Prager U. Uh, Catherine, CJ, thanks so much for the conversation. It was really my pleasure to have you guys today on the debate at Newsweek. We'll see you next time. Being a staple in American media for over 90 years, Newsweek now brings you an exceptional lineup of podcasts. The debate. They'll recognize how these policies aren't working. They'll feel the pain and they'll change their behavior. The Josh Hammer Show. Restore the principles and the political paradigms of the American founding. The Crystal Knight Show. Just because officers are black doesn't mean that the policing system still isn't inherently racist. Fast women. Chevy's actually doing really well and Honda's really not. Wow. (laughs) It's like the opposite of most people's perception of them. It is. The Parting Shot. Every year when the new nominations are announced, I get this excited, nostalgic feeling, and it brings out that little kid in me who just loved movies. The Royal Report. Harry and Meghan's head of comms has announced they now move forward to their kind of future outside the royal family. Newsweek Podcasts. New episodes drop weekly. Download or listen now at Newsweek.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.